this episode, Reverend Marvin Lindsay talks about Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10, and how we are all on a journey, whether or not we are traveling for the holiday season, and offers some possible destinations for us as we continue on the path of following Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, this is the season for traveling. Uh, in the holiday season, many of us go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house to celebrate Christmas, although these days we go over the river in airplanes and through the woods in SUVs instead of relying on horses and sleighs, as the song goes. Uh, and after the holidays, uh, many of us turn into snowbirds and fly away south, making New Jersey the second largest city in the state of Florida. Did you, did you know that? that, that is, that's, I got that from the Census Bureau. It's, it's, a, it's a true fact. No, it's not. Um, it is a season for traveling, and it's fitting that this season is for traveling, even if the weather doesn't always accommodate travel uh, in these cold and dark months, because travel is a core component of the story of Christmas. Mary and Joseph had to travel. When Mary was nine months pregnant, they had to leave their hometown of Nazareth and go to Joseph's ancestral village of Bethlehem to pay their taxes to the empire and to be registered, to be uh, counted for the imperial census. And it was there that Mary went into labor and she gave birth to the Son of God. And she gave birth to him in a stable because all the hotels and motels and Airbnbs were bursting at the seams with people paying their taxes. The wise men came from way off in the east somewhere, following a star, to find the newborn king of the Jews and to worship him and to pay him homage, to give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. People are also on the move or encouraged to get moving in this morning's Old Testament scripture reading. God has told the prophet Isaiah to rouse the people up because their long exile in Babylon is coming to an end. They're about to return to Mount Zion, which is the mountain in Judea where the city of Jerusalem stood. And that was the city where the Israelite kings of old ruled the people. That was the city that played host to the temple, where God's presence dwelt with the people. And they're promised that joy awaits them at the end of this journey. Hence, uh, we read this passage of scripture on this joy Sunday when we light the third Advent candle in the wreath. Isaac Watts once wrote a hymn where a title, We're Marching Design. I don't know if you know if you sung that when you were a kid or if you've heard that sung. Uh, I know that our Christian Heritage class, uh, which is talking about the music of the church, has talked about Isaac Watts and is going to talk about him again. I don't know if that's a, a topic of conversation. But if you've ever heard that hymn or if you've heard uh, hymns or sacred music about journeys, you know that you can imagine yourself as on a journey, even if you are not physically moving from one place to another. Indeed, the Christian life is a journey. The early Christians were not called Christians, they were called people on the way, because they conceived of their life in Christ as a trip, a voyage, a journey from one place to another. But just where are we headed on this journey? And how can we be on a journey if we're not going anywhere? You know, if we're physically settled uh, in this season or in any season. What I want you to think about is this word Zion today, this destination for the Israelite people in the scripture passage. And I want you to think about it in one of four different ways. 
uh, a literal way, and then three symbolic ways or allegorical ways. Uh, I'm going to kind of share these four meanings uh, of the word Zion with you, and then you can decide for yourselves what kind of journey you're on in this season in which we remember the greatest journey, the journey of the Son of God into our world to save us. First, at a literal level, Zion, as I said, is a mountain in Judea, and it was home of the capital city of the Israelite people. The Israelites had suffered a terrible defeat at the hands of the Babylonian Empire, and the residents of the capital city had been uh, forcibly evicted from their homes and removed to a faraway place deep within the Babylonian Empire. But after 70 years, the fortunes of the Israelite people had changed. The Persians had arisen in the Middle East and conquered Babylon, and the Persians allowed the Israelites to return home to Zion. The message of Isaiah is that God works wonders in the midst of murky diplomatic and military affairs to issue uh, new possibilities for life for people who are oppressed, to bring captives home to where they belong. And this is a word of hope today for millions of people, for the 89 million people in the world who have been forcibly removed from their homes. It's a word of hope for the 7 million Ukrainians who fled to Poland and fled to Romania and points west at the outbreak of the war with Russia. And it's a word of hope for the 7 million Ukrainians who are internally displaced because of the aggression of their neighbors. It's a word of hope for 3 million people who have been forced to leave their homes in Ethiopia because of fighting between government forces there and local militias in the Tigray region. It's a word of hope for the nearly one million residents of Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras who have fled their respective countries because of the lawless criminal gangs that operate with impunity there. And it inspires we who um, are living more settled lives to worship and serve the God who frees captives by serving those who are running for their lives and who are far away from the mountains and valleys and cities and villages they call home. We do that with our prayers. We do that with our offerings, which support the work of our denomination and our mission partners around the world who provide food and clothing and shelter for those who are refugees and exiles. And what you do as servants of Jesus Christ means that hope comes alive for people who are far from home this holiday season. And it gives them hope that joy and not sorrow and sign will have the last word in their lives and in this world. Second meaning of Zion. Think of Zion as the church, as the community of faith, as the people of God. We've been exiled from the community of faith for a long time, so to speak. But now we have an opportunity to return. The exile that we've experienced in the last few years is partly uh, self-imposed and it's partly been as a result of circumstances beyond our control. I don't have to tell you, but I'll just review it. Uh, we've lived through a once-in-a-century disaster, a global pandemic. And for a long time, we had to maintain distance from one another to reduce the spread of the coronavirus and to save lives. 
The book of Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for embracing and a time to refrain from embracing. And it seems as though these last few years, uh, the prudent thing to do was to refrain from embracing. But if you've gotten out of the habit of being an active part of the community of faith, hear the prophet's call to return to Zion as a call and an invitation to re-engage with the community of faith. Now, what it means to return to the community of faith does not necessarily mean being in a pew 52 Sundays out of the year. Although, if that's what God is calling you to do, then more power to you. Far be it for me to get in in your way. Every minister wants to preach to a full house. So, understand that I'm I'm not going to beg you to come back to worship because there's a little bit of ego involved in uh, invitations like that. But I'm also not going to beg you to come back to worship because I think going forward, we're going to have to think about what it means to be an engaged community of faith in, in different ways other than just having a seat in a pew on Sunday morning. I ran to one of you this week who said to me, you won't see much of us on Sunday, but we see a lot of you every Sunday. So, hello. <laughs> I see you up there. Um, online worship counts. Online worship counts. It certainly counts for those who are sick, those who are disabled, those who are homebound, those whose immune systems are compromised. It certainly counts for people who are new to our community of faith and who want to find out what we are about before they step into the doors of the church. Um, I was, uh, you know, a few of us elders attended a meeting the other night online about uh, just the future of, of community life together. And there was a lot of, I guess, uh, kind of upset about online worship. On the one hand, people thought, well, people are just kind of worshiping in their pajamas. You shouldn't be able to worship in your pajamas. Uh, but on the other hand, people were saying, well, we can't get rid of it. You know, it's, it's, it, it, People feel ambiguous about it. I think it's here to stay for a lot of different reasons. And I think that the challenge is not going ahead trying to make people come here on Sunday morning. It's a way of exploiting this technology and other opportunities to engage people in all different kinds of ways. I'll tell you another story. I ran into somebody in the church building the other day. They were in the church building. And this person said, well, you're not going to see me worship on Sunday morning because I got enough worship to last a lifetime when I was a kid. But... I will be involved in the church. And down the stairs, this person went to bake casseroles for some of our unsheltered neighbors here in Camden County. That also counts. That also counts. Uh, you know, giving out food and clothing at St. Wilford's counts. Going to the pizza uh, restaurant with our young adults this evening after the lessons and carol service counts. Going for a walk with our Presbyterian women on Tuesday mornings counts. Find a way to re-engage with the life of the congregation at a level and at an opportunity uh, and at a spiritually led way that makes sense for you. Return to Zion. Return. It's time to come home in one way or another. Third way that we're marching to Zion. In the Hebrew language, the word for repent is shub. And shub literally means to turn around. 
or to change direction. To return to Zion means to repent from sin. To turn to God as the most important one in our lives and to turn to our neighbors in love. Not to turn away from them when they are suffering and not to turn toward them with a predatory gleam in our eye as if they are there to serve us and we are not there to serve them. To turn from sin, let me explain this a little bit more. To sin in the Hebrew language means to miss the mark or to go astray. And these Israelites who are in exile in Babylon had gone astray for generations from the king on his throne in Jerusalem to the lowliest peasant out in the farm and in the hinterland. They had worshipped idols of stone and wood instead of the living God who had brought them out of Egypt. And they had exploited one another instead of being good neighbors to each other. Their defeat and their exile was God's judgment on their sin. Their going astray from God led them far astray and far afield from the land that they knew as home. Now, sometimes God punishes sin. I think often, however, sin contains within it its own punishment. It contains within it a built-in penalty. God doesn't need to punish us because our sins are more than enough punishment for ourselves. When we make something other than God our most important thing in our lives, even if it's something valuable and good like uh, spouse, family, uh, meaningful work, then those things will ultimately let us down. You know, spouses die. Uh, even loyal, hard-working people who are engaged in meaningful, creative work find themselves laid off. Kids, well, kids have a mind of their own, don't they? Uh, whether they're two or 52. Um, we will inevitably be let down if we make something other than God the end-all and be-all of our lives. And what is more, if we make something other than God the end-all and be-all of our lives, then good relationships can turn sour, they can become manipulative or exploitative, and ethics and values can get compromised for the sake of the corporation or for the sake of climbing the career ladder. So here in this passage of Scripture, an invitation to return to God, to repent from sin, and to once again make the Lord God who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and who brought Jesus Christ, our Lord, out of the grave, the end-all and the be-all of our lives. And the scripture promises us that when our lives are properly ordered, with God at the first, followed by love of neighbor and nature, then there is joy and there is a blessing waiting for us. Last of all, I invite you to think of Zion's heaven, our final destination. The God who came to us as a baby born of Mary in a stable in Bethlehem has gone to prepare a place for us. And God the Son will come again and take us into God's very own presence, into that mansion of many rooms where there is nothing but joy and peace and light. For the time being, there are more than enough tears to occupy us in this veil of tears. But remember that we are only passing through this valley of darkness and death. 
Our true home is elsewhere. Our citizenship, as Paul says in his letter to the church of Philippi, is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that we are unconcerned about the welfare and well-being of the world around us. Far from it. Refugees need food and shelter. Forgotten and unloved people need companionship and attention and care. The people of God, the community of faith, needs our strength and support. And we need the strength and support of a community of faith. Because when we are seeking God, it's better to seek after God in community than on our own. But we do these things as ambassadors of a world where nothing fades or withers. Because there, everything is shot through with the presence and power of the eternal God. And that is where we are destined to be, when our deployment, our pilgrimage here, has come to an end. So, friends in Christ, maybe you are going to grandmother's house this Christmas, or maybe you are a grandmother who's waiting for family and friends to come to your house this Christmas. Maybe you'll soon be one of those, uh, or in one of those many cars with New Jersey tags that clog up I-95 between here and Miami, or maybe you love uh, weather like this. You, you kind of like it cold and dreary, and you like the sunset to set at 4.30 in the afternoon. Maybe you're on the move this holiday season, or maybe you are sitting in one place. Whether you're on the move, or whether you are here, know that you are on a journey. All of us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are on a journey. So as we are on this journey together, let our prayers and our efforts and our time and our money care for the refugees and exiles who yearn to see familiar places this Christmas season. Let us return and reconnect with the body of Christ. Let us turn from sin and love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And finally, let's hold on to the things of this world loosely, for we are marching to Zion, where everlasting joy will greet us. In the name of the one who is, and who was, and who is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page.